been a little while i apologize but today i'm gonna have episode six here on syphilis like i promised before um if this is your first time here welcome this is morgellons fireside and my name's justice because that's what we deserve here so we're talking syphilis today disclaimer i don't think it's syphilis but i do think that we have a lot to learn from it uh the studies that have been done on morgellons have referenced syphilis quite a bit, and we're going to listen to some clips from uh, Jeremy Murphy with Morgellons' discussion, and then I'm going to play a video I found which was really interesting. So stay tuned. Thanks for tuning in. Want to give a quick shout out to Managing Morgellons. Go check her out on YouTube. Um, We're organizing a uh, peaceful protest at the CDC, I think in sometime, sometime in August, um, because we need the CDC to look at this again. Also, check out more Morgulons with Crystal Clear. And I encourage you to start your own and keep spreading this information. So thanks so much for tuning in. This is Morgellons Fireside. Thanks for listening. So before I jump in, I wanted to go back to my hypotheses on what Morgellons is, what causes it. I have three of them. If you haven't listened already, the first one is mold toxicity or mycotoxins, basically toxins built up in the body and we're having skin issues as a result of that. Number two, bugs. I, I really, really feel that there are bugs, insects, arthropods involved and three zoonotic pathogen such as a bacteria or you know a virus so syphilis today we're talking about syphilis and i mentioned before i don't think this is syphilis i think this is new i think this is a spirochetal infection I definitely think this is a spirochetal uh, dermatosis, some sort of skin spirochetal infection, but I don't think it's syphilis. Um, You know, maybe, you know, prove me wrong. Maybe we haven't done enough research on syphilis. You know, I've actually heard that we haven't done enough research on syphilis, and a lot of the research that we have done was pretty messed up. Um, I I can talk about that later, but anyways... Syphilis is a spirochetal infection um, disease, and it's pretty terrible. So I want to just talk about some of the things that syphilis, um, that we found out about syphilis, and some of the qualities and just the characteristics, and see if I can make some parallels with Morgellons, because there are definitely some parallels, but there are differences. So I just want to make that disclaimer. I do not think it's syphilis, but, you know, I I went and get, I went and got that test. Didn't pop with anything, you know. Um, I'd encourage anyone else to try 
that test out and see if we can get some collective data. I know it's your health data. It's up to you. You don't have to just share your name. Um, but, you know, we're in this together and I'm sharing my information so I can help at least one person through this. Um, it's definitely helping myself. So, yeah, let's dive in and hear what Jeremy has to say about how far we've come with syphilis um, and studying it. So I want to start off by saying I have been doing a lot of tests. I've seen a lot of doctors. I mean, I've spent a lot of money on on medical stuff, but you know what? This is my life, and uh, I'm very fortunate to be able to Uh, go do these things might be in a little debt but you know whatever it's my health anyways so I want to share the findings with you guys and help anyone I can in that way however little disclaimer definitely see your doctor if something's going on you know don't rely on me um so we're talking syphilis and I actually you know had my annual gyn OBGYN appointment and I specifically asked them I'm like hey I got some skin stuff going on yada yada I want a syphilis test so they do the syphilis test it was like four dollars or something like five dollars um just paid out of pocket right there super easy however um oh and I got the results and is negative don't have syphilis per this test that I took And I took this test, I would say, far into my Morgellons. Um, I took this test about, what, two months ago. And I've had Morgellons since May of 2020. So if that kind of tells you anything, and, and we'll dive into more about syphilis, but I think it's very important to mention the stage in which you get the test. Also... It is very important to get the right kind of test, um, I believe. And I wanted to play some clips from Jeremy uh, with um, Morgellons' discussion. He's done a lot of great research on um, syphilis, gathered uh, a lot of different journal articles and breaks it down. But long story short, my syphilis test that I got was basically like the cheap one, not super sensitive. I think it's called RPR rapid something something but anyways let's listen in to jeremy and he sums it up really well something i'd like for you to consider syphilis was not able to be viably cultured until 2018 about 2016 to 2018, they developed a new method for syphilis, which allowed them to culture it for long periods of time. Previously, they hadn't been able to culture it long enough to really study it. So if you take a look, a lot of the latest research that's coming out about syphilis is telling us things that we thought previously were untrue. So right now there is a syphilis resurgence And it just makes sense, going by Occam's razor, if it looks like it and acts like it, it may be it. There are novel treponemes. However, there's a syphilis resurgent currently. Who knows? 
really interesting information that Jeremy shared with us, huh? So we haven't really been able to study it very well. Uh, Syphilis, uh, treponema pallidum, the causative agent, the spirochetal bacteria that causes syphilis. So, I mean, hopefully we can make some more strides in that area and maybe it'll tell us more about Morgellons. Like I said, I don't think it's the same thing. I think it's in the same family. But Anyway, so me and him were having this back and forth conversation um, over like voice messages. And I told him, you know, I got the syphilis test and nothing showed up and told him that I got the RPR test. And he he gave me some information on that. And let's hear what he has to say. Hey, Justice, that's the RPR. It's a serology test. You can compare it to the standard Lyme ELISA test. Uh, Here's the thing. It used to be thought that that test was accurate and specific and reliable. It is specific, but it's not reliable. According to one Bolivian study from 2006, that test missed 5 out of 20 confirmed cases of syphilis. And in fact, in a recent fluorescence in situ hybridization study about direct detecting treponema pallidum, there were several patients who were thought to not have syphilis who, with this molecular identification method, were found later to actually have the infection. So, uh, same problem with Lyme disease. Serology tests are not reliable. We have to go to a direct detection method. So yeah, um, after hearing Jeremy's uh, information on the tests for syphilis, I definitely am planning on going to get the better test, the more accurate one. So stay tuned for that. I will definitely share results with you guys. Um, Anyway, so the next kind of thought I was having about syphilis was... Can insects, you know, can bugs, can blood-sucking insects spread syphilis? You know, why not? In my mind, you know, if, if it can be spread human to human with, like, just mucosal fluid skin contact, I believe, and also through blood, um, sexual intercourse, sharing needles, what, what have you, why wouldn't mosquitoes be able to spread this, right? So I, I asked him that question, and I, I started to research, you know, what types of insects and bugs have uh, carried spirochetes or spirochetal bacterium, and I think in my research it came up uh, with black flies. Some, some species of black flies carry spirochetal bacterium, and... I want to say some mosquitoes. So that's an interesting topic. I might have to cover that in a separate episode. Um, But Jeremy responded with this interesting uh, finding. He found a study that that proved an an unusual way to spread syphilis. Um, And get this. This is important to hear, I think. So... 
Hey, Justice, a uh, couple of things uh, responding to your questions. So, yeah, syphilis, just like Lyme, can also be transmitted congenitally. And looking in the historical literature, there's a lot of examples or discussion about syphilis being able to remain latent through several generations, and then all of a sudden it shows up and causes problems. Uh, I think that's possible, but uh, yeah, with the amount of a uh, high amount of false negatives and the readjustment of the false positives down to about 3% on the RPR, then I think it's likely that the uh, everybody's at risk, you know, who is sexually active. But there's also blood transfusions. And if you listen to my podcast, there's one episode where I discuss a Chinese study where a uh, grandfather gave it to his son when his son borrowed his shaving razor. And then uh, they transmitted it to the wife and then to the baby. So three generations with the... Wow, super crazy about the shaving, uh, spreading syphilis. I guess the more I think about it, it makes sense. And it's plausible. And per this case study, that's how it happened. Um, If you listened to my, not the last episode, but the one before... This case study about the syphilis and the, and the razor reminds me of digital uh, bovine digital dermatitis. The one disease out there that looks identical to Morgellons, and it's in cows. And there are studies that predict that these cows are... It's spreading between cows, and it's on their feet, by the way. It's on their hooves. They predict that it is being spread by hoof trimming, hoof trimming. So I don't think that um, some farms are using a a protocol in which they sterilize the trimmers or the clippers in between, um, you know, trimming these hooves between the cows. And I'll have to pull up those articles, but... I don't know, that's, that's kind of wild. It's like a hygiene thing, you know, shaving, um, trimming, trimming your hooves, you know. Use some hygiene protocols when you trim your hooves, people. And that's how you avoid Morgellons, apparently. But interesting things. Let's see what else we have coming up. Jeremy's going to keep going. Hey, one other thing I thought about was that uh, syphilis itself does result in these autoimmune conditions. There's extensive research on that, demonstrating what genes it affects and uh, what conditions it mimics. So, yeah, that's not entirely well known, but it's true. So kind of our back and forth here moved on from the the shaving and how that spread syphilis i um was kind of asking him what he thinks about the autoimmune uh, piece to it and was finding that you know a lot of the spirochetal infections and um, mycosis fungoides or the HTLV is an autoimmune disorder. Um, My immune system has taken a huge hit. My lymphocyte count is very low and um, I'm pretty convinced that I have lymphoma. That those results are pending. 
but I'll share that with you guys whenever I get those results. But yeah, interesting, Jeremy uh, has found that research that syphilis does result in autoimmune disorders. And I could see how that might pan out. You know, your system's like trying to fight off this spiroketal bacteria load and it's not really doing it's not winning and it just keeps going and going in this loop and I mean you're just perpetually just kind of sick all the time at least that's how I feel um I was gonna play a video for you guys but I'll probably just kind of like go over some points that I learned about uh syphilis that I wanted to share and you know on the note of autoimmune and thinking that this is lymphoma or possibly a type of HTLV, human T-cell leukemia virus or human T-cell lymphoma virus, I found that syphilis does move to the lymphatic system and they call it something, um, it's called regional lymphadenopathy. Regional lymphadenopathy. Butchered that, but I thought that was interesting and it, it's regional, so I'm not gonna like pull up the Wikipedia page on this, but to me that says it's only in some lymph nodes, not all of them. You know, maybe it's the, the ones that are closer to the the sores or the cankers or, you know, the lesions, which is interesting because I, I do have Myself, I have swollen lymph nodes on my left jaw, and I, I always get those lesions there, which is, I don't know if that's serendipitous, but very interesting, right? So they, they do know that syphilis gets into the lymphatic system via, one, the lymph nodes, and then it spreads via the blood. It gets into the lymph nodes, into the system, and then it gets into your blood system, your your central nervous system, I believe. So um, there's definitely a parallel that we can draw there. So I was watching this video on YouTube, and I recommend that you guys go watch it, but I'll kind of summarize it's called syphilis the return of corky the killer and it's by john tony he is a doctor md and he is over at a a vet hospital i believe it's the james haley vet um not vet like veteran hospital not veterinary that hospital so he he brings up Corky the Killer, and this is a book written back in the day on syphilis, and I really want to get a copy of it, and I like how they call it Corky the Killer. I'm assuming it's because it's like corkscrew-like <laughs> syphilis, spirochetal. Anyway, so a couple points that he, he goes over. Um, in the 1840s, as part of the treatment of syphilis, they discovered potassium iodide which I found to be very intriguing that 
he mentioned potassium iodide because if anyone has gone to YouTube and watched The Unknown Cat, it's a fellow, uh, he's got Morgellons or he had Morgellons and he swears by uh, potassium iodide or a Lugol's solution basically and he said that that cured his Morgellons. He also believes that it is a fungal infection, a deep fungal infection. So interesting little tidbit about potassium iodide, right? I'll have to dive into that in another episode. Let's see. So that was in the 1840s. And then in, let's see, 1910, uh, Paul Ehrlich, apparently he discovered something called salvarsan. That's the drug name, salvarsan. And... It contains arsenic. Arsenic. Isn't that... That's an apple seeds, right? Anyways, um, arsenic, they found that it blocked types 1 and 2, or stage 1 and 2 syphilis development. It blocked it. So, another topic that I'm going to research is uh, some arsenic (laughs) treatments... Don't try this at home, but it's something to research, and I'll share it with you guys. So that was in 1910, and then in 1943, they they used penicillin, and they found it to be very effective on syphilis patients. Um, let's see, what else, what else, what else? They did ultimately discover that it was caused by the spirochetal bacterium uh, Treponema pallidum, and in order to study it, they had to use some uh, this protocol, dark field microscopy. And he says, nobody teaches dark field microscopy anymore, so it makes it very difficult to, to detect it, um, you know, to detect this bacterium. That blows my mind. If, if we have a method, dark field microscopy... To study syphilis, and we're not teaching it, I guess, in in medical schools or in labs? Like, why is that? Just a thought, just a thought. Hey, CDC, you know, maybe you should try some dark field microscopy on these Morgellons patients. Just a thought. So, he's got that. Oh, and then he has a really good quote from Sir William Oster. Osler. Sir William Osler, he was uh, instrumental in this syphilis uh, study and discovery. His quote is, He who knows syphilis knows medicine. And I really liked that. I mean, this syphilis and in general spirochetal infections and diseases are very very complex. They're extremely difficult to study. They're very difficult to even determine if if you have it. It depends on the stage, uh, your stage in which you have it. Uh, It it also, apparently, it takes a while to um, multiply. So it it kind of like is a slow progressing um, dissemination of, of all this bacteria and it replicates fairly slowly and that makes it hard to test in the beginning because the spirochetal load is so low so 
getting tested in, in the middle stages or, you know, the later stages apparently is the better way to test it. But I mean, in my opinion, that you don't want to wait that long, right? So let's let's see how the research on on spirochetal, uh, specifically, you know, the syphilis uh, bacterium goes, and hopefully, it can help us out with Morgellons. Um, yeah, I already mentioned that they they found that syphilis penetrates the lymphatic system via the lymph nodes, and then it gets into the bloodstream and then the the central nervous system. So you do have some lymphatic immune system involvement. And let's see, Corky the Killer. I don't know, it's a it's, it's kind of a cheesy sounding book, but I think it could be very interesting to to look at. Um so I'll wrap up with his little snippet that I wanted to play for you guys and it's about feet. He talks about some of these um, patients that have syphilis and they have diabetes and they have these foot ulcers, foot ulcers, which reminds me of bovine digital dermatitis, you know, are potentially are these cows maybe um, diabetic and makes their feet more susceptible to getting spirochetal bacteria infections. I don't know, but it was a thought that I had, and I'm curious if anyone who has Morgellons has diabetes. I'm craving sugar all the time, I'm not going to lie, with Morgellons. I've never craved sugar this much ever before. Um, My cat got diagnosed with diabetes right in the same exact month that I got Morgellons. Don't know if that has any relation at all or if it's significant, but my cat, he has um, peripheral neuropathy. He's pretty much lost control of his back legs and he's walking on his hocks. It's extremely sad and um, this is a common thing with diabetics. So, you know, did I get this from my cat? Did I give it to my cat? I don't know. Anyone with pets out there who um, maybe your pet has some some paw or foot issues or, or diabetes, let me know. This is all good data. Let's try to gather it and, and find some more insights here. Um, but anyways, let's listen to Dr. Um, John Teeny. Um, the one on the left is just a picture. These are really uncommon, but neuropathic ulcerations where people really lose sensation to their feet. The most common issues that we have with neuropathic ulcerations is going to be having um, uncontrolled diabetes or long-term diabetes and nerve involvement with that. Um, when I was a fellow, we used to have at the VA Wednesday morning, uh, every other week, Wednesday morning, ID um, clinic. And we had a guy that was sent over one time who had some uh, foot ulcerations uh, and said that his feet were kind of numb. And they wanted to be evaluated because that these were diabetic foot ulcers and for us to evaluate and treat them. Um, they looked really clean, and when we went through the softback charts, all those things that you used to couldn't find, but all of his glucoses were normal. But he had positive RPR and had never been treated for syphilis. This guy had TABES. Um, luckily, ended up in an ID clinic. Uh, the other thing that uh, we used to hear more about was the Charcot joint to the knee being associated also with TABES dorsalis. Regarding the co-infections in this latest study, the uh, individual did have H. Uh, 
HPV, uh, HSV, the uh, herpes simplex virus. Uh, that's detailed in this latest research. But, um, you know, you can be born with Lyme, relapsing fever, and syphilis all three at the same time. That's not impossible. The question is, how likely is it? And, uh, <clears throat> you know, these spirochetal infections aren't anything new. Uh, in fact, in one recent research, they determined that about a third of the victims in the Pompeii had skeletal signs of syphilis. They, they had the holes in their skeletons, uh, like what syphilis causes. So, yeah, it's just something that we need to take a closer look at, is all I'm saying. And I don't see any evidence of causation one way or the other. Hey, Justice, I looked this up one time, and flies, flies can transmit uh, uh, yaws, I think. Uh, they can transmit some kind of treponemes, for certain. I did read about that. Uh, animals, rabbits uh, get syphilis. I haven't found evidence that dogs get treponemal infections, though we know they are often infested with uh, dog ticks, which transmit the relapsing fevers. So, uh, yeah, uh, but no, I think for syphilis, it's going to be most likely sexual transmission or congenital transmission. I think those are the two most likely scenarios. And it's, uh, it's apparent. Everybody, nobody wants to talk about syphilis because of the stigma. I mean, but I think it's something that there's evidence that we need to look at. The staging and classification system is based on syphilis. So we really need to do a good job to make sure it is not syphilis and that it is Lyme disease. So I'm going to wrap up this episode. It was a little longer than I thought it would be, but syphilis is a huge topic. I think it's extremely important um, for the Morgellons community to to study it and see what we can um, find from it. I don't think that Morgellons is syphilis, but we can learn a lot from it. And those at the Dove Medical Press have already released a handful of studies with their learnings from syphilis, um, this spirochetal bacterial infection. So I would love to hear any thoughts, any suggestions. I'll probably have to make a whole nother episode on syphilis with all the other findings that I have that I didn't get to cram in here, but I would love to hear from you guys. I'll keep you posted on my more advanced syphilis test and yeah, thanks so much for tuning in. Again, this is Margellan's Fireside with Justice, and I hope that you all have a great week. And tune in maybe in the next uh, couple days, probably dive into potassium iodide or one of the other topics that I mentioned here.